This morning's reading comes from 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, and it's the first 20 verses and can be found on page 433 in the Church Bibles and will also come up on the screens. So 1 Chronicles 29, verses 1 to 20. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise and stones of various colours and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and for the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of families the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave towards the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the King. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kerry, very much indeed. Uh, our overall theme this term has been whole life worship, and we've had a whole load of different angles on that. And it would be wrong to think about whole life worship without thinking about our finances and how they fit in with our worship to the Lord. Uh, all these things are given by the Lord. If you're a visitor here, let me just first off say relax. We're not after your money. Relax. If you're a regular here, you know that's part of the deal and you're well used to sermons on money. Let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, as King David said, everything we have comes from you. Our very breath, our gifts and talents, our energies, our relationships and our finances. And we lay it all before you, the King of Kings, as we sang earlier. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit on us now. Help me as I preach. Help us as we listen. We all feel the power of materialism in this culture we live in and we, in our best part, long to live with you as our Lord and God in every area. So speak to us, we pray, in this whole area of our finances and our giving. And may we be able to worship you in that area too. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I do rather like preaching about money. I've had so many stories of giving to the Lord and wondering how it will work out and him coming back. that It's always very exciting to see what he's going to do. Uh, on the other hand, I'm always nervous because the preacher is always judged with a higher standard than the listeners. And I was sort of rather convicted of the next bit in, my, in the area of finance where I need to trust the Lord. And I thought, ah, okay, and that's uncomfortable. So I, I have this sort of uncomfortable sense, as some of you do, and this sort of exciting sense. Uh, a few years ago, I forget when it was, two or three years ago, I was preaching on money. And I asked everybody if they had a wallet or purse to get that out and to look through it and see how much cash you'd got in it. And I said, if there's anybody here who's got £100, I wonder whether you'd come and give it to me, just 
out of love for the vicar. You, you're not going to get it back. I'm going to keep it. And remarkably, there was. Actually, I did it at all three services. And at every service, some of you were here, there was someone who said, yes, all right. And they came and gave me £100. And people were a little bit shocked. And I went on with the sermon. And halfway through the sermon, I said, let me just tell you what happened before the service. As people were coming in the door, I approached someone I thought would play a game and gave them £100 and said, when I ask for it back, would you mind giving it to me? And said, no, no, it's absolutely fine. No problem at all. So I'd given this £100 to them. And then I said, would anybody see if they've got £100 in their wallet, come and give it to me? And these kind people did. I was rather relieved about that because it would have been an expensive day for me otherwise. But the point I was making was, well, they were only giving me back what's mine already. And this is the big point of our reading today. Verse 14 of it, David says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. We've only given what comes from your hand. At the 8 o'clock communion service, uh, we have a bit of liturgy every week where we say, all things come from you and of your own do we give you. And all our giving is only ever giving back to God what he has given us. He has given us the brains and abilities and the brawn to earn our finances. He's given us money directly. Everything, this beautiful world, all the creativity and potential in it, all comes from his hand. Uh, And God is much more generous uh, in that sense than I am because I gave £100 and I asked for it all back. God gives us, and in general, he says, give a tenth of it back and make some extra offerings on top. Now, if I was more godlike, I would have said to them, I'm going to ask, give me a tenner back and keep the rest, or give me a bit more if you like. But I wasn't very godly. I asked for it all back. (laughs) I needed to be able to pay my bills, and I was lacking in faith. But I wanted to make the point. It all comes from God. Uh, Now, let me fill you in on this story. This story comes King David. This is 1,000 B.C., Uh, The nation of Israel is at peace. David has subdued all the enemies. And he has it in his heart to make a temple for God, to build a great temple. Uh, There was the tabernacle that had traveled around the wilderness. The tabernacle was still where the worship of the Lord was carried out, a tent. And David had a palace. And it didn't quite feel right that he was living in a palace and God was living in a tent, as it were. So he had this on his heart to build a temple. And God blessed the dream he gave him Uh, real vision and details for how it should be but he said to David but you're not to be the man to build it for me you're a man of war your hands have shed blood I want your son Solomon who's a man of peace to be the one to build it so David got all the plans he got the gold and everything together and here in this story that Kerry read to us so beautifully uh, David is inviting others to chip in if you like out of their wealth so that all that's needed for the building of the temple is ready. So as Solomon becomes king in David's old age, uh, he can get on with it. And now there are so many things in the Bible about money. Did you know Jesus spoke, well, according to the Gospels, there's more in the Gospels that Jesus teaches about money than about love, than about heaven or hell or anything else. Uh, If preaching about money is unspiritual, then Jesus was really unspiritual because he did it an awful lot. And there is far more than we can cover in uh, one sermon. Uh, So I have four themes I've noted in this story, uh, and we'll illustrate them from other bits of the Bible. Four themes. And the first theme that struck me is David's attitude to his wealth. His whole being is about wanting to worship the Lord with all that he has. 
including all of his finances. Uh, he's grown up as a shepherd boy, singing songs of worship. Uh, many of those became the Psalms. He'd been on the run from King Saul with his life as a fugitive, and there are Psalms of trust in God. But what he's sung with his lips, and we have in the Psalms, is absolutely as clear and true with his money. He's laid it all out, wanting to give to the Lord as well. Just listen to these great verses again at the heart of our reading. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. We praise your glorious name. But who am I? And so on. Everything we have has come from you. And we're only giving you what you've originally given to us. It's this wonderful attitude of worship uh, with his stuff as well as with his lips. It all, it's all for the Lord's glory. Now when Jesus was preaching about money, uh, famously in the Sermon on the Mount... He said this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Ultimately, our life is heading in a direction. We're either serving the King of kings and Lord of lords and the great King of Jesus, or something else. And often the something else will be money. Indeed, Jesus uh, personified it, literally, he said you cannot serve both God and mammon. He gave the money God, as it were, an, a name, a false God, the God of materialism. He knew that money can be an idol. Now, lots of things can be idols. Anything that comes in the place of God in our life is an idol. For me, the two idols I've wrestled with the most have been my family, who are not God, and they can't possibly deliver what God can, and the church family, again, which is not God, uh, as you very well know. Uh, but some, quite often in my life, I find my attentions drawn from putting God first to putting these things first. Uh, all of them need to get their place. Uh, our material things can easily be an idol. Uh, and the God money promises things that only the true God can deliver. Uh, Jesus knew that money could steal our hearts from God, that our, our hearts can go after material things. He said just a few verses earlier in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is in stocks and shares, that's where your heart goes, and you'll check them all the time. If your treasure is in something else, that's what you'll check. If your treasure is God and his kingdom, that's where your heart goes. Jesus knew that money could choke out the word of God in our lives in the parable of the sower. He said that the desires of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, can choke out God's word in us, like a rival God. Uh, it, promises it promises that things will bring us happiness. This is why there is an advertising industry uh, to tempt us to buy things we don't really need, to impress people we don't even really like. Uh, with money we haven't even got <laughs> to do it. But it says if you, you know, these, these wonderful, beautiful 
creation scenes and beautiful music if only you use this shampoo or drive this car. I mean, we know it's nonsense, and yet we fall for it. Uh, it's absolute rubbish. The stuff can never buy us inner contentment. Uh, money can buy us a house, but it can't buy us a home. That's something different. It can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. It can buy you comfort, but it can't buy you contentment. Mammon is a, a false god. Uh, it lies to us. It says a little bit more money will solve all your problems. There was some research done a few years ago on how much more money people thought they needed. And on average, it was 10% more than they got. So someone who earned 20,000 a year, this was research a while ago, probably the equivalent of uh, 25 or 30 now, they felt they needed about another 2,000 a year and I'll be fine. People on 200,000 a year felt they needed another 20,000 on average. In others, everybody is just thinking I need a bit more than I've got. For money's like drinking seawater. The more of it you drink, the thirstier you get and the more you want. Uh, actually, the truth is that money itself is completely neutral. We can do good things with it or bad things. But when we love it rather than God, then it starts robbing us of our true contentment. Uh, I think it's more like vitamins. If you've got a vitamin deficiency, you need some more vitamins, and that makes a difference. If you don't have enough money, you do need some more money. And if you're here today and you don't have enough, we have a hardship fund. Uh, if you're in debt, we're in partnership with the Christians Against Poverty Debt Center. We would love to help you. You just have to let us know, because we won't know unless you, unless you tell us. We're very confidential and discreet, but we can help you. If you don't have enough, you do need more. But once you've got enough vitamins, more of them don't make a lot of difference to you. And once we have enough money, it doesn't affect our contentment. Uh, we have more in our society than any society's ever had, and we are less content and happy than... I don't know how they measure that, but they do. Uh, our society is less content. Or another lie of the rival god, debt is expected and unavoidable. Pay nothing till next year. You can afford it. Minimum payments are only. Why do they do that? Because they know it will cost you a lot more in the long run. And it's a, debt is a terrible thing. If you are in debt, we would love to help you get out of debt. No wonder the writer to the Hebrews said this, Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that should be enough. But we, we wonder. Uh, I have a very fortunate existence as a vicar. I'm provided a lovely house to live in and enough money, at the, which is neither riches or poverty, to, uh, to live. But sometimes I get a bit anxious about what happens when I retire. But God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. My head says it'll be fine because God is God. There's a bit in me that thinks, oh, but I've got a pride. I'm, I'm, try I'm trying to be transparent. I, there are bits I don't find easy about this. But God is God. And my choice is to live with God as God. And if you are a Christian, Jesus is your Lord. Everything about you belongs to him your time, your energy, your money, your relationships. And he knows how to do it better than you, and he is good. As I said earlier, money itself is neutral. It's the love of it that's the problem. Paul said this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Often that's mis misquoted as money's the root of all kinds of evil. Not necessarily. Money's the root of all kinds of good stuff. It's the love of it. 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves from many griefs, with many griefs. So I see in David's attitude this just delight in giving, a wonderful joy in giving. Uh, over many, many years, he has tried to put God first. He got things spectacularly wrong at different stages, but he repented and came back. And his attitude to his finances is the same attitude we read in the Psalms of wanting to put God first. And my question to you, as it was to me as I prepared this, is whose kingdom am I really serving? Whose kingdom? Get the attitude right. Uh, so that's one theme. Second theme I see is one of great joy running through all this. Uh, you could tell as Kerry read it. It's a wonderful story. As David gives generously, as he invites the leaders to give generously, uh, there's great joy. Uh, let's listen to a few of these verses again, verses 6 to 9. Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, the officials in charge of the king's work, gave willingly... They gave towards the work on the temple of God, all that. If you want to know how much it is, get a Bible and the footnotes will tell you what it is in kilograms. Let's go on. Uh, say, anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced, there's the joy theme, at the willing response of their leaders. They'd given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And then in verse 17, it says, David prays, I know, my God, you test the heart. You're pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent, now I've seen with joy. This, it just runs through. As we give to the Lord, there is a tremendous joy that comes. God frees us from the anxiety that comes from materialism, uh, from the grip of it. Uh, in a tiny little way, the nation experienced that on Friday night with comic relief. There's great joy in giving. Now, by and large, you, you sit and watch your telly and you're challenged to text 10 or 20 or 30 pounds. It's not very much, but it all makes a massive difference. And there's great joy in doing that. And it comes against the usual attitude, which is get more for yourself. All the adverts, look after number one. Be, uh, there is a joy in giving. There is a tremendous joy when your whole attitude is into giving to the Lord. You and I are made in God's image and God is a giving generous God. That means we are wired to be givers more than takers. Uh, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only son. He gives of his very self and we are made in his image and when we give there is joy. Uh, when we try and keep it all for ourselves and hoard it we just get more and more anxious. And the thing I've learned down the years that I always preach on is that we cannot outgive God. We give to him. He gives to us in so many ways, things much more valuable than money, inner peace and contentment and joy and relationship. We give and he gives to us. Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, famously said, I've been trying to outgive God all my life and I've never yet managed it. <laughs> when the purpose driven life went viral, he started reverse tithing and keeping 10% and giving 90, but still found that God keeps giving. And it's, we can't outgive. And I, if you've never started giving to try that, uh, I invite you to try. Jesus tells us not to worry. This is the opposite. If you're worried about money, if you genuinely don't have enough, we can help you. Actually, you probably do have enough, so give some away. You break the spirit of anxiety by coming in the opposite spirit. And Jesus tells us not to worry. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, listen to this from Matthew 6, verse 25. 
Therefore, I tell you, says Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And what's given as we put God first is he replaces our worry with a peace. Uh, When I was ordained 31 years ago now as a young pup of 25, I was a curate up in Chesterfield, and I was still reasonably competent at squash in those days, and I joined a local squash club. And for the first year or two, I was a bit embarrassed about being the vicar. I never wore my dog collar. The time came when I rushed in from a funeral visit and I forgot and I got it on and everybody looked a bit surprised. Anyway, it opened up a lot more conversations. And there was one guy, Dave, an older man, a businessman, and he was really interested. And we got chatting. We had good games of squash. Uh, And I said, so what's your life about, Dave? He says, money. Actually, he says, money. I love money, he said. And he he said, if you work hard, you could have a car like mine. I said, not in the Church of England, I don't think so. And he told me about his house, and he'd bought this house. He'd got this great lake and stocked it with valuable fish and all this. And he went on. Um, And I went on, and I said, are you happy, Dave? And he said, no, I, I worry all the time. He'd just bought a heron, he told me about. I said, what do you worry about? He said, I worry whether people will nick my stuff. I worry whether the heron will eat the fish. <laughs> I worry. It just, I mean, it was, you couldn't have made it up, really. And it was just, that is the inner fruit of chasing after stuff. Now, some people have lots of stuff and manage to sit lightly to it, and that is wonderful. But in general, we feel the tension. All of us feel this. Uh, we handle it pretty much every day of our lives. Uh, And it can affect us. We need to get our attitude right. And when we put Jesus first, there is tremendous joy. When Jesus was asked to intervene in a family dispute, he said this in Luke 12, verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's not what life is about. Uh, We can't take it with us when we go. We leave it all behind anyway. But we can send it on ahead, Jesus told us, to build treasure in heaven. We use our money for the kingdom. Uh, So there's an attitude I see from David that is really healthy of worship and the kingdom of God is the biggest thing. There's a joy that comes as opposed to a worry. Now, The third thing I notice in this is a freedom. David is not putting any pressure on people to give what they don't want to give. Uh, David invites them. He says, I'm giving. Uh, Who would like to? Uh, Let's just read again from verse 5. He says, Now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Verse 6, Then the leaders of families, the officers of tribes, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, gave willingly. And uh, if we go on a bit more to verse 9, it says, 
uh, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. They had given freely and wholeheartedly. It is horrible when people manipulate you into giving what you don't want to give. You feel violated. Uh, this is freedom. And God never forces us. He gives us everything. It comes from him. But we are the stewards of it. We get to choose what to do with it. Uh, my favorite passage on giving, you will know, uh, is 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in the, in the New Testament, Paul's letter, where these verses 6 and 7, Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously. That's just a sort of harvest principle. Then verse 7, each of you should give what you've, desi- you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You give freely. And whenever I preach on giving here, I say, if you'd like to give, give. God invites us to give and says there's a blessing, uh, but you don't have to. If you think you'll be better off keeping it for yourself, (laughs) good luck to you, see how that goes for you. Uh, There's a tremendous joy in giving. And then these last lines, for God loves a cheerful giver. You don't know many Greek words, I haven't taught you many, but the word for cheerful, you know, is hilarion, from which we get the word hilarious. There's great joy. It seems daft when we give particularly when we give large amounts. And yet there's tremendous freedom and joy as we do that. Um, The story of King David and the the temple that we read is obviously a kind of one-off story. This wasn't everyday giving. This was a big gift day for the temple. Uh, Many of you have journeyed with us at St. Paul's as we redeveloped this building. Uh, None of you were here 140 years ago when they put it up. But many of you were here over the last decade as we've redeveloped it. Two big gift days. Uh, We'd had a number of gift days where we'd given about 30,000. I think the most was 50,000 to give to other ministries around the world. But we had two two big phases of this project, uh, at least half a million for each of them. And uh, our policy, I remember a wonderful PCC meeting where our policy is to give away 10% of all we get. And we agreed we'd do that with our gift day. Um, so immediately half the project, which was about five or 600,000, became 50 or 60,000 more expensive, as it were. So that we, we and uh, we had a gift day in 2011. Um, I think it was July the 3rd, but I may have got that wrong. Uh, we had a wonderful architect, Dave, fantastic guy, brilliant, brilliant. Oh, did a wonderful job for us. Uh, and as we were approaching, uh, as we were getting into contract with him, he said, well, this is going to be expensive. This whole thing's going to cost over a million. We're going to do it in two phases. How much money have you got? I said, we've got loads. We've got, we got millions. He said, really? The church has got millions? I said, really? The church has got millions? In the church bank account? I said, oh, no, no. It's in the equity in their houses and in their own bank accounts. Uh, we just need to get it out from there into the church bank accounts and then, then we'll pay. But the church, you know, we are the church. We've got the money. So he said, so you've got nothing. So he says, this isn't going to happen, is it? And he had worked for another church where it had been 10 or 20 years and nothing had happened. I said, no, it is. He said, well, how on earth are you going to get it out of their bank accounts and the equity in their houses into the church? I said, we'll hold a gift day. And he said, well, good luck with that. <laughs> so he came, and uh, he came, he was a lovely guy, he met the church. And um, he phoned me up on the Monday morning afterwards. Uh, now, some of you were there on the Sunday night. We gave, we asked you to give, we asked you to pledge over the next year or two, we added in what would come from the gift aid. And I remember the holy moment after the evening service of announcing that night that there'd been nearly 400,000 pounds. It was just 
a wonderful moment. There was a sense of, gosh, Lord, this is amazing. And the next day, when Dave phoned up and said, have you got on with your gift day? I said, well, guess. And he said, well, they were a generous lot. I thought they looked really amazing. You might have got 50,000. And I said what it actually was, which was, I think, 370 or 80,000 or something like that. And down the phone, he said, good God, like that. Which I said, precisely, that's what we think. And I always introduce him, and still do if I meet him, as the architect I know with the best theology. That God is good. But it's a great outpouring of joy and giving. There is a wonder and a joy about doing that. So it's our attitude. Is God Lord of our money or is he not? Are we going to hang on to it? And actually that tends to lead to anxiety and have we got enough? Or are we going to give? And that releases us from worry. There's a freedom. You don't have to give if you don't want to give. And the fourth theme is there's just great blessing for everybody in this story. As David gives, as the others gives, as the temple gets built and God is worshipped, there's tremendous blessing. And you see this wonderful cycle going on, a virtuous cycle. 2 Corinthians 9 puts it like this in verse 8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in all good works. And verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, as we give to God, God gives us more. Not necessarily money, though it might be. Uh, He may give us more of other gifts or time or peace or contentment. He gives to us so we can give more to others. And as we give more, we get this virtuous cycle set up. Uh, Now, I've told my own personal stories of giving so many times, I'm not going to do that uh, anymore. Uh, I just want to read to you again the invitation that God gives to us to test him with this. Normally in the Bible, we're told not to test the Lord. But when it comes to our money, he invites us to test him. We get this in Malachi chapter 3 from verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. This is about 400 years before Jesus, and the people of God are a bit wayward. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. Now, God normally says, don't test the Lord. You obey his commands and love him. But with our money, he invites us to test him. A tithe is 10%. It's a biblical principle It's not so much the Christian principle. The Christian principle is generously and sacrificially, which means far more than a tithe, unless you're really paid a little, in which case a tithe is very generous. Tithes and offerings. I think personally what that means is we bring a tithe of our giving to the storehouse of the church, and through that we're able to give to so many others. And then we do offerings wherever else we want to give, to the church or anywhere else. Uh, Food banks and debt centres and the well and things international, all sorts we can give to. Uh, So I'm unashamed that I give at least a tenth of my income to St Paul's. I get paid on the last banking day of the month. Uh, I give through, give as you earn through my payroll thing, and it goes out straight away. Uh, I don't tell anybody what we give on top of that. 
What's been thrilling for me is seeing my children learn that God is faithful. Uh, time's running out, so I'll just tell one this morning. Dear Josh, who is my 18-year-old, who's on his gap year, uh, is on this amazing adventure called Soul Edge in Canada, which he'd said he didn't want to do, but actually, when we pushed him, he did want to do. We said, why don't you do it? He said, well, it costs so much. It, he has to find something like £5,000 to do it, plus £2,000 to buy kits, because it was minus 30, plus flights, plus everything else. So it's going to cost him eight or 9000 He said, well, we can't afford it. He said, if you want to do it, why don't you earn and ask the Lord? So he got two jobs. He did Argos and Deliveroo, and he earned some money. And he's, we brought him up, as all of ours, to tithe, to give tithing. And he applied for various grants and charities. And from our short-term fund at St. Paul's, we gave him something. And many of you were here for a cake sale where you gave an absurd amount of money to him, nearly about £900 for cakes that day. Um, wonderful. Uh, brilliant. He didn't even bake the cakes, Juliet did. So it was, it was a bit outrageous. Uh, I was with him as he opened an envelope with the biggest gift. It was an extraordinary... There had been a charity he'd heard of, of some old people somewhere else who just liked to give to mission. And he was going, he's going on mission as the snow melts after his training he goes up north. Uh, among the indigenous people up there. And he opened this cheque for a large amount of money. Four digits. Uh, almost as much as he'd earned altogether. And he just was white And it was wonderful. I said, gosh, that's nice. The Lord's been blessing you. Um, you must have been giving your money. He said, well, I have been tithing, and it was Commitment Sunday, and I did increase my giving <laughs> within that week, this checker. He's got his own story. There's no delight like seeing your own children begin to get their stories. And I loved, uh, on the gift day, hearing that. As I look around, I'm clocking various faces of stories. I know um, if, if we had another hour, I'd get you all up and we'd tell the story. Uh, the question is, are you going to trust the Lord with your money? Jesus said, let's finish with this one, Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured too. If we give a little, we find God giving a little to us. If we open our arms wide, we find God pouring his blessing out. Uh, and it's such good news. It's part of basic Christian discipleship to give. Uh, last week, I was saying it's basic Christian discipleship to read the Bible and pray every day. And I invite you to choose to do that. Uh, the resources are on the website. If you go to I'm interested in prayer, you get all the resources. Uh, if you've never started giving, same thing. Go to the website, I'm interested in giving. You'll find the, the giving form, the church bank account details. Set up a standing order. Do it by gift aid and the very nice government give us an extra 25% back which is very nice. Then. If you're fortunate enough to be a higher taxpayer, you can claim the rest back yourself. If you didn't know that, you can claim back several years. This might be a really good news Sunday for you if you've been giving. Uh, give. I'm unashamed in encouraging people to give 10% plus offerings, but you are free to give whatever you want and you cannot outgive the Lord. Uh, and the more that's given, the more we can bless people who don't have enough. We have a hardship fund and we can help people in need. I'd love to be able to bless people more than that. Uh, we have these ministries and mission partners we support with. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just had so much given that we say, gosh, we can really bless you all. And as we give, more is given and it can be just such a wonderful thing. Let's stand. We need to sing our last song. Perhaps the band would come back and I'll lead in prayer.
Heavenly Father, you are a wonderful, generous, good God. You've given us all there is, this beautiful creation. Our very lives, the breath we have, the gifts and talents and passions and energies, our relationships and families and houses and cars. For most of us, you've given more than we need so we can give to others. For those who are here this morning who don't have enough, we pray for courage just to come and tell us so we can really help and bless them in your name. For those of us who do, free us, we pray, the next stage from the grip that material things have on us. Free to trust you with every bit of our being. We long to know more of your joy and freedom and blessing. So release us, we pray, from worrying, from the God mammon. Pour your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just keep a minute quiet. There may be a particular thing you want to just process with the Lord. picture as we're praying of someone holding on tightly to something with their hands could be anything but it may be your finances you need to release them to the Lord and trust in him it may be something else he invites you to trust him with we had some wonderful pictures of creation on a glorious sunny day that God is the God who's made all of this and as David said Lord everything we have has come from you so fill us with your spirit. Give us grace to trust you in this area that we can give to those who don't have enough. And we pray that you would provide for our needs and send your joy and freedom even as we worship you in song. And we pray that as churches like ours all around the country do this, as needs are met through food banks and other ways, that you would begin to turn this whole nation back to you. May we once again become a nation that trusts in you rather than in the God mammon and the economy to sort it all out. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.